Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday, midday. And I'm going to do the Tefillah podcast now, as always, uh, thanks to the sponsorship of Mishpachas Stefanski. Thank you. Uh, do something a little unusual today, for which I have to thank a young lady who wrote to me earlier this week uh, and jarred my memory, uh, Miss Dodi Lee Weinberg, who's in Tangier in, in Morocco, studying Arabic on a State Department fellowship or something like that. And she... Um, uh, talking about uh, in connection with uh, Shabbat Shabbat Thomas and the three weeks and all that which is around the corner the Kina of the Ibn Ezra which I frankly was out of my mind I don't think I've seen it in, in 35, 40 years <clears throat> I'm glad she brought it my attention it's something I want to share with you this week even though this will be good uh, medicine for us Ashkenazim because we have an Ashkenazocentric uh, liturgical sense naturally but there are other liturgies <clears throat> out there, and uh, this one would be in Shavasar Thomas at the time, but for the Taimon and for the Yemenites. Why it ended up with the Yemenites, I'm not sure. Uh, but to cut to the chase, we're talking about um, the season of three weeks and the Corbins and all the rest of it, and you and I, I'm sure most of the people listening, not all, but most of the people listening uh, to my talks are Ashkenaz, and therefore you're, you're used to uh, Arslichus and Arkinos. And, for example, the Kinos at Ashkenaz foreground, as you know, terrible things that happened to the Ashkenaz, the Hainu of the Crusades, isn't that right? Or, as I mentioned the other day, Shalis Rufesh, the burning of the uh, Talmud in Paris, to Ashkenazi Geshevis, <coughs> you know, things like that. And we certainly, I mentioned the other day about Xeris Tachbatat, <coughs> things like that. There's, uh, unfortunately, plenty out there. Uh, I haven't gotten my set of Sefer at the most, that Bernie Liebtag and Israel very kindly is sending me, but even so, however, I want to make this point. For better or worse, I'm not saying this happy, it's the opposite. The Ashkenaz ain't the only people that suffered and had pogroms. The Sephardim did also, uh, and many of them are not known out there. Uh, if Maybe if you're Moroccan or something like that, possibly. I bet you most of them don't know either. Uh, and so this young lady uh, brought my attention to a famous Ken is a famous one I, I tell you again I haven't thought about it in years um, from the Ibn Ezra in other words from Avram Ibn Ezra the famous Rishon the commentator on the Chumash who was among other things a famous poet uh, I did a podcast him long ago and like I told you I'm working to find somebody who can put my Website, whatever you call it, into order. So it be pe- easier for people to find stuff. Anyway, Abba Ibn Ezra, as opposed to Moshe Ibn Ezra, who was his cousin, who's also a very great poet, uh, has what you call Shiri Kodesh and Shiri Chol. You know, secular poetry, and all in Hebrew, and religious poetry. The religious poems, a lot of it is from the davening and that sort of thing. But some of it are kinos. Now, 
what is it? What kind of kina would it be? The Ibn Ezra was a Sephardi who did live in the time of the Crusades. I mean, that part is true. He lived in the late 1000s and a good part of the 1100s. He died in the 1160s. So, you know, I would say the guy died in the 70s. It's not easy to get clarity on the dates of these people, but he was born around 1090 and died around 1160, 1165, whatever. Different scholars have put different dates. Doesn't matter. Anyhow, he lived through the, the hard times of the Jews. You had, as I think everybody listening to this is familiar, the Tatnu, the famous Crusades of 1096, which are described in excruciating detail in the Kinos that the Ashkenazi Jews use. But I would like to say, less known, pay attention, is what hit the Sephardim like a like a, a two-by-four over the head at the time of the birth of the Rambam, and I'm talking about the Almohads. The only people who ever heard of the Almohads, I'll bet you, listening to this, unless you're a specialist, which you probably aren't, is people who know about the Rambam. So, so the biography of the Rambam is that he was born in the times were good in Spain, and as a young man, he got hit with this Almohad invasion. The Almohads was a, a Muslim group, which are very fanatical, and they did not agree with the Islamic principle that the Jews are okay, that the Jews can be tolerated as a separate group. According to classical Islam, uh, which had been the case for hundreds and hundreds of years, the rules in the Arab, the Muslim ruled territory was that the Jews and the Christians can be second or third class citizens. But provided that they mind their own business, keep a low profile, pay the necessary taxes, act uh, obsequiously, uh, you know, acknowledge their inferiority and all that. If you do that, you can practice Judaism 100% or Christianity 100%. If you're pagan, you couldn't. But if you're a Christian, you're a Christian you could. So um, that means it was relatively good for the Jews. I'll say it wasn't equality and it wasn't gewaldic. But relatively speaking, it was okay. And in Spain, Dafka, where Ibn Ezra is from, Ibn Ezra was born around 1090 in Tudela. It was all the way up north. It was like, you might say, the, the, the border between the Christians and the, and the Muslims who were war and consulate war. But as you remember, the Muslims invaded Spain, took over 95%, 98%, but then take over the last 2 or 3 or 4%. And that was a problem because it metastasized. And little by little, the Christians came, little by little, the Christians came back and slowly but surely reconquered everything and kicked out the Muslims. That's called the Reconquista, the Reconquest, which took 800 years. Now, when the Muslims <clears throat> conquered Spain, so they brought in a lot of immigrants who were Muslims, and they converted a lot of local people, but a ton of the local people did not convert, and they stayed Christian, which was unusual in the Islamic place. So I don't want to get too detailed in this, but only to make the point that if you're a Muslim ruler in Spain in the 700s, 800s, 900s, 1100s, 1100s, and so forth, uh, then you have a lot of Muslims, but you also have a lot of Christians and you cannot trust them because they would like to overthrow you and join the other Christians. Naturally. So in that context, the Jews are not a problem. If I'm a Muslim ruler in Spain, I say like this, I got to worry about the Christians. Uh, and I might even have to worry about some of my fellow Muslims because of politics. You know, this one wants to take over, that one wants to take over. But the Jews are just there. You know what I'm saying? Those, the Jews aren't out to set up any kind of political thing. They're just in the population, and they're no political threat whatsoever. And 
they increase the number of non-Christians, which is a plus for me as a Muslim ruler. So with these ideas in mind, the Jews had what they called the golden age of the Jews in Spain. Maybe it's a little overblown, but it doesn't matter. And during the 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 1200s, <clears throat> it's a fact. 1100s, I should say. It's a fact. So wherever the Jews lived, they were pretty much allowed to practice Judaism. And there were certainly no threat to the Muslim rulers. And that was a plus. Uh, and that's why you could have Yiddishkeit build up so famously in Spain. You have this, the Gedoli Hasfardim. I'm talking about before the Rambam. You know, from the time of uh, Moshe Mechanoch and uh, what's the name? Shmuel Anogid, uh, Ritzkias. Those guys, you know. The Rift later on, if you want to count them as a Sparty, or the Rimigash, all those uh, galaxy of names. Uh, and they even had Lakewood over there. There was a big yeshiva in Cordoba, which eventually moved to Lucina, and whatever. You know, you had the big Rishon in there. But then things changed. This is where the three weeks come in. Then things changed. Because within Islam, there were right-wing movements and left-wing movements, and a right-wing movement got very militant and powerful in, in Africa and took over and eventually conquered uh, Spain as well, the Muslim Spain. These are called the Al-Muhads, the people of unity. Notice they insist, like the Rambam, you know, uh, an absolute Echad. And for our purposes, according to them, it's not allowed to be a non-Muslim. So even according to a regular Islam, you could, but not according to this group. And when they took over Spain and Morocco, uh, they, began, they basically said all the Jews and all the Christians have to convert or else you get killed. Okay? Now, the result was it hit everybody like, like I say, like a shock. For hundreds of years, everything had been fine. Everything was just fine. Especially Spain and Morocco. You know, they're right next to each other. And now, overnight, is a nightmare. Now, it's not Hitler. Provided you converted, you could live. But you got to be willing to convert. So everybody was faced with the Hargwell-Yavr situation. And some did this way and some did that way. It's very famous. The Rambam and his families, you know, they converted. They pretended to be Muslims and all the rest of it. The Muslims themselves realized that the Jews they're forcing a word don't really mean it. And even though they made everybody become a Muslim, they did not give them equality. You still were a second-class citizen. It's very interesting. You still had to wear special clothing, all the rest of it, even though you had become a, uh, you had converted to Islam. Because they knew it was Misafa Lachutzi, didn't mean it. But they had their Kashmandas. And unfortunately, many of these Sephardim, Moroccans, I'm talking about Sephardim from way back when, the, the family eventually disappeared from Yiddishkeit because you married a Muslim wife and this and that and the other. Now, the Ibn Ezra, Ibn Ezra is sort of a contemporary of Maimonides in that the Rambam was born around 1138. Uh, and the Ibn Ezra was born 1090, so he was in his 40s, late 40s when the Rambam was born. You see what I'm saying? The Ibn Ezra learned, lived to be 70, 75. So they overlapped to some degree, although I don't think they ever knew each other. And the biography of the Ibn Ezra is he was born in Tudela. As a young man, he went south to Lakewood. Lakewood was Alusina. That was the city where the yeshiva was, the Rimagash, the riff in the Rimagash. Uh, so he, you might say he saw Torah in his full glory. This was an all-Jewish city. I'm going to be doing soon the podcast on, um, I'm sorry, the lecture series on the Bayesians and all that.
There's a very famous thing where they said the Rimigaj had a Moser uh, stoned to death in the shoal on Shabbos Yom Kippur before Neila. <laughs> That's how powerful the Jewish community was in Lakewood there in, in Alusina. And now all this stuff got destroyed. And in many places the Jews did Yahar Yavar. In other places they did Yahar Yahar. And here you are in Ezra, who at this time, maybe because of this, it's not clear, uh, uh, left Spain. Part of the biography of Ibn Ezra is he's from Spain, but he, uh, um, what do you call him? He uh, left and went actually to Christian Europe. And, uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's weird, but, you know, he ends up meeting uh, England and France or Rabbeinu Tom and all that. What's this party doing there? One very good reason is all of a sudden Spain became a nightmare. You know what I'm saying? So he got the heck out of there, which the Rambam and his family did not do. So, you know, it's it's varied responses. Now, because it's a Tefila podcast, I want to read to you. You can find it online, uh, this poem. Unfortunately, I seem to remember it was in the Sherman book, which is that wonderful book, which has the Kahati at the bottom of the poems, uh, many of which are part of the liturgy. Hashira Hayavrit Sfarada Provencia. But I just pulled mine out. It doesn't have this one. Which is called So this would be a Sephardi Kina over the Churban to hit the Sephardi after the First Crusade, around the time of the Second Crusade, the Jews in France were able to duck the Second Crusade. That's a story by itself. They kind of escaped that. That's the time of Rabbeinu time. However, in Spain it was the wrong time to be, not in the in the southern part of Spain. And here you are, Ibn Ezra, who had traveled throughout Spain. He spent time in Lakewood, as I said before. He spent time in Cordoba, Sevilla. He crossed over to Morocco. He hung out with these Moroccan gedolim that no one's ever heard of before. Ibn, Ibn Sasson and people like that. These are famous names in the very Sephardic wor- uh, word, uh, you know, world that unless you're a specialist in Rishonim and all that, especially Moroccan Rishonim, I don't think most people are, have heard of them. And now he hears, either he fled or he was already in, in France, and he hears Chorban that hit Spain, and he writes a kino, which is called Aho Yorad Ali Sfarad Ra Min HaShamayim. Aho, whoa, there is descendant on Sfarad Ra Min HaShamayim. V'sofot Rav Ali Marav L'zos Rafuadayim. And to do a hesped for the Marav, which is Morocco, um your dime. It's impossible. No, it's like I say, make one poem about the Holocaust. Actually people have, but you know what I mean? You say it's the scale of the tragedy is beyond human description. Lazos, Ruffle your dime. My hands are too weak. Aini any yardamayim. Bachose nai, Bamaya nai, I'll share Lucina. My eyes are full of tears like a well when I think of Lucina. Like I told you, that was the lake with that was the Benin Brock over there. It was a city without any Osham, and the, the Jewish community, the Gola, the Jewish community had been there for over a thousand years. That's what he says. Without any non-fromism, 
for a thousand seventy years. I don't know where he gets that from, but there's an ancient community, you know, long Jewish traditions, Torah at its at its, at its height. Like I tell you, Tim, that was the big yeshiva in Spain. But finally, the day came, and the whole community had to flee. And the city is now, to imagine, I mean, it's a sad thing. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to, I'll tift up out of something. So imagine a big city, which your big Malcolm Torah, she was all the rest of it. And then it isn't. Right? And then it isn't. It's a little bit like, for example, I'll just give you a little example. Suppose you went one of these tours of Eastern Europe, you go to the place of Belushin. Ain't nothing there, but you have imagination, and you say like he did, Right? It's a, the Torah, the Mikra, the mission is out hidden. And the Talmud is now uh, like a widow all alone. Basically, in other words, the Goyim came in, they stopped the whole show, Either they killed everybody, they forcibly converted them, they destroyed all the Jewish books. Some got killed, and some fled this place and that place, and he can see, or he, I mean, he wasn't there, but he was told, And the beautiful shul, and the makom now is not based tefila, but based tifla. In other words, the Almohads converted the beautiful synagogue into a mosque. And the Goyib, no, these guys, ripped apart the Sefer Torahs. Because you have to understand, from their perspective, especially Ahmad's, the Torah is a forgery. The Jews were given the Torah, they say, but then they, they uh, what's the right word? They uh, messed it over. They they rewrote it in their way. So the Torah to them is something disgusting. So Dos Elamuna, the Karazar, that's why I cry and clap my hands in horror and say, Tinos. It's interesting. And he ends up saying, like the Ashkenaz do after the Crusades. There's no way to be silent over this. And I only say, which is exactly what they say after the Crusades in France. And I tear the hair off my head. And now he gets into places that he himself had been in, which had been flourishing Jewish communities, and now zip, okay? I think of the Gola of Ashpila, that's Seville, which the Almohads made their capital. And again, big Makam Torah, it's a beautiful city if you've ever been there. And now forget it. I cry now when I think about all the big Rosh Hashivas, the Nesim, the community leaders, the communities, and the, and the noble people who are now dead. Meaning, the parents won't convert, the guy who killed them, and their little children, and they made slaves. And the girls, the madanos, the dainty and beautiful girls, are now been handed over to a false, to a, a foreign religion. And I, I, see, see, and he's a poet, in his a great poet, so he surveys the map of Spain, of Andalusia. And I think about the city of Cordoba, which again, I mean, the Rambam, for example, was born and lived in Cordoba at this time, from a very chashva 
intellectual family of Rabbanim Dayan. So, and 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 David Ezra, I don't know if he met his parents, but you now he had been in Cordova. Now it's it's desolate and destroyed like the ocean. And I see and I heard how the Chachamim and Atzumim, the Chashuva people, died Barov So apparently they tortured them. Uh, they, you know, died of starvation. And now there's not Yehudi or Yechidi. There's not one Jew in Chaen and El Maria. El Maria is all the way in the south. I was there. But Mallorca. Right? Nothing is left here. And the poor Jews who had been despoiled, were beaten up with fresh wounds. In other words, listen, they tortured them. You understand? And that's why I give a hespit and cry bitterly. And I just wail and wail. Uh, there's no end of my shagos, my crying, my tuga, my mourning. And I say, whoa, like a woman giving childbirth pains. I'll kill a sejal mesa. Now he crosses the Straits of Gibraltar to talk about Morocco. The Sephardim Moroccan Jews at that time, I'm talking about that time, was very similar, very close. And now I moved to Sejal Masa, the big city. Now again, if you're Ashkenaz, you probably don't even never heard in your life of Sigil Masa. Right in Africa. See, he had been there. He spent time in Morocco. And this Sigil Masa you never heard of. Now their or, you know, their Torah is now covered with darkness. And the Talmud and the Omad where you daven and the Bidi and the Shul itself is destroyed. So in some places, the Muslims turned it into a mosque. And others, they just knocked the whole doggone thing down. And the Mishnayas. So what do you think these mobs did when they busted into the shoals and killed the people and whatever? They took all this farm, which at that time was in scrolls, and they trampled them. So there's not really much of a difference between what happened over here and what happened by Chamel Nitzki, where again, they ripped open and destroyed and trampled and all this jungle on this farm. And the capital city in Morocco, Marrakesh, which we call Marrakesh. Now you see the bodies all pierced. The Goyim had no pity. Whoa, look what happened to the to Fez. When they were given over to slaughter. Now you see, I'll say it again. If you're going to read this poem, which you do online, uh, I'm looking at it online. Uh, Talmudsen, these are all well-known, famous old Moroccan communities. When I say old, I mean they were, as you see from this poem, they were Chashaba Jewish communities at the time of the Rambam and before that. And I raise my voice in, in bitterness when I think of Mechnes. In the city of Dara, which now has been seized. Apparently it was a massacre on Shabbos there. Boys and girls. You see, in many places, there were many places, you see from this poem, I mean, we know anyway, that a lot of Jews did Yehar Gwal Now the Rambam, as you know, very famously wrote, and he said, you don't have to do Yehar Gwal 
But many people did not agree with the Rambam. For when, when I say many people, I mean big gedolim there. And they themselves perished rather than, you know, fake it out or something like that. It's, you know, it's, I'm not saying who's right or wrong. I'm just saying this happened. And that's what Ibn Ezra has heard and is, is bemoaning. Umo'an. And now, again, it's fascinating, just like the kinos that we have on Tishabov, the Ashkenaz, in which the poet turns to God. Uh, now, the Ashkenaz are very bitter. The Ibn Ezra walks the line. Umo'an. What can I say? Is it because of my sin? Is this a fact that God has imposed on me misfortune? Who can I look to? Who can I speak to? Everything is min Hashem. And I'm very bitter over my own faith, he says. It sounds like he was kicked out of the country as a refugee. Me, I'm a Sephardi, born Sephardi, and from my Eretz, because Sephardi, you know, especially member of the intellectual class of the Sephardi, like Nibin Ezra, when he went north to Christian Spain, it's like going to Hicksville, you know. I find myself having left Spain, Mechos Chepsa, and now by the Christians, by the by the French and the English, the Eretz Tmeya and the Golosa, Minichlomo, and I'm feel ashamed, Minelmo, and I'm struck dumb, Lasapertlos Rosa, I can't even tell over what I've seen. Notice I tried to explain to these Ashkenazim what happened in Spain, and I can't do a good job. Ve'im ke'evah, and with all the pain, u'vilvavah, and in its heart, l'chesed sura kibsa, I still look Tashem. Sees it from God. Lechesed tzura kibsot. He looks for the tzur, for the rock, for God, for the chesed. What do I want God to do? Let savos produce to command salvation. Ome avdus and get out of this avdus. Kibitzel kenaf v'chasasah. So basically, he wants Mashiach. But base kolin, I'm in a in a house of of prison in the in the in the gallus. Bechal eisim zochosh moaz chayosam. But when I mention the name of Hashem, I'm like freed of the prison. But the only thing is, my tears are full of, my cheeks are full of the tears that run. Because what you've done in terms of uh, sending your bows and arrows against me. But I will always fear Adeyirob so you get to, it's a wonderful poem, by the way. I will always fear until you appear. Uh, so no, the, the Mashiach will be characterized by the appearance of Hashem and Hashem. In other words, you'll see Nisim when it flows. That's how he composes, that's how he concludes, I'm sorry, this poem. It's a powerful piece um, in which he very briefly, as you see, runs through the whole business. Uh, but as he says himself, he says, I can't, I can't do it uh, justice. Uh, I can only do partial. As I said before, this is um, look, this is Ibn Ezra. This is something that uh, you may want to call your attention to uh, and broaden your horizons if you're an Ashkenaz. Uh, probably, for all I know, a lot of Sfarnam out of the Iranians also probably never heard of this because it's from the Ibn Ezra. He's talking about the Almohads. Who's even heard of that? But you see... Um, why this ended up in the Yemenite liturgy for 
Shavuot and Tammuz, I don't exactly understand because Yemen was far away from this. But maybe they identify with the Vesach Nisht. But it gives us a little bit of a, uh, what's the right word? Trans-Ada kind of um, view of the three weeks. And reminds us that, you know, uh, no particular Ada has a monopoly on uh, on a history of suffering. Anyway, I thought that was cute. Uh, So I do want to thank Dodely Weinberg for calling my attention. And of course, Mishpach Savansky, always, for sponsoring this. With that, I wish you a good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.